Start from the beginning. So you you were talking to me about how you're going to Montana tomorrow. Yeah. So we're back in like a little while ago in Sydney, my brother and I found out found this found this guy who had some bull sperm, and he was sort of the investment was like you know you buy some bull sperm and then you go find someone to inseminate some cows, and then all of a sudden you're a bull breeder. And we wanted to also maybe get involved in like importing Shlivovitz and Rakia from Croatia. So like ideally our business card would be bull breeder, Shlivovitz importer, film director. And like we were just chasing this card, which we thought would be really cool. And then the deal kind of went away. The guy ended up being really dodgy or whatever. But then it turns out, so I'm going to Montana tomorrow, spend three weeks on these ranches. And there's a guy there who, he, basically they're bull breeders and we're going to buy four cows. Welcome back everyone to another week of Living With Will. I'm so fucking pumped for this episode. Al is not only a creative and brilliant director, but he's also a brilliant writer. Uh, he's a bull breeder. He's a Slakiovich importer. I, I could not say that word correctly. Al is an incredible, brilliant film director, film creator, screenwriter, writer of pages, man of myth, lore, and legend. Um, this shit is about to be fire, so I'm so grateful to share it with you. Um, I hope everyone had a great week. You know, I took the week off. I needed some time with my family. I needed some time to, you know, think about my purpose and what I was trying to do in my life, you know. And it, it was really refreshing and needed, and I really recommend to anybody, you know, if you're going through anything, allow yourself time. Like, if you need a mental health day from work, take it. If you, if you got to see some family, go see them for a little bit. Like, if you need certain things in your heart, let yourself do them because I needed that shit, yo. The knowledge that I needed to spend some time with my family and spend some time away from, you know, pursuing passions and, and purpose. Like, sometimes it's just about being around people you love. And I really needed that space and that time with people, you know. And I hope that this reaches whoever else needs to hear it because I'm really grateful that I had that insight and I hope to share it with anyone else who needs it. And you know, sometimes we just need mental health breaks. Sometimes we just need family breaks. Sometimes we just need time to... Sometimes we just need solitude, you know? Like, whatever your break is that you need from your daily life, I recommend taking it in the moments that you feel an urge to. It's incredibly refreshing, and, and I needed it. So, successes and blessings, bro. That is a tough thing to say. Successes and blessings to everyone in the podcast, man. Thank you guys for listening and rocking with me. And as I always say, you know, if you're if you're fucking with the podcast, if you're enjoying it, if you rock with me, uh, please like, comment, or subscribe. This is the type of thing that helps me get into algorithms, helps me get the podcast to a larger audience, and just continues my path to world domination. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> so sit back, relax, enjoy, and thanks for tuning in, y'all. Welcome back to Living with Will. Extraordinaire, legend, friend, man of the world. Um, how you doing, man? Good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing good. So let's just let's just jump right in. You know, um, it's funny because a lot of the guests I've had have been music related, yeah. but I'm trying to interview just like inspiring, artistic, fucking cool people in general across all fields. And uh, when I 
when I was told that, or when you told me rather that yeah, you'd be down for an interview, that's fucking hype because I don't have many director associate friends in the mix. I'm happy to be here. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this, man. Um, what uh, what got you into directing? How did that How did that end up coming about? I mean, I feel like like I always give like the same kind of bullshit answer to it, but like the true, like the you know, like everyone who's directing kind of has always been directing. Like everyone who's in movies, yeah. I feel like they've always been doing movies. Mm-hmm. It's just like. And as soon as uh, as soon as like cell phones came out in our generation with video, like I feel like a whole generation of kids learned to make movies with mm, their like, parents' phone or like their brother's phone or whatever, and that was what I was doing. But I actually wanted to be a novelist, and I wrote a book, and I really liked like writing was my thing. Mm. And then I like, tried. To, I mean, I like was I like, wanted to publish the book, and then kind of changed my mind last minute. Because I wanted to rewrite it, and I like, pulled it apart, and then sort of in the process, like pulling the book apart and trying again, I sort of lost. I I, I guess I sort of just found film in that period, and then mm. stopped writing books. I started writing films, and damn, and then That's like, it. and then you write movies, and then you don't want to see someone else do it, or you want to. I don't know the only way to get your own script made, the only way to like really see the script through is to make it. Mm. So I just started making things like that. Cool. What um what was the book about? Um, it was about someone trying to find their, trying to find out, someone's dad dies and he was trying to figure out who his dad was when his dad was alive. And it's Damn. Like a... Have you ever seen the movie Smoke Signals? No. Oh, Native American film, super dope. I'll send you it. Yeah. Um, it's, that's, it's a story of like, it's a coming of age story where a guy doesn't know his dad, his dad dies. Right. So it's the journey to the funeral. He figures out like who he is, all that shit. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It was, it was kind of based off, I knew a guy growing up who... His dad died when he was really young, and all he had left was his dad's journals from when he was his age. Wow, that's sick. And he, like, kind of, who his dad was at 16 yeah. sort of helped raise him. Wow. He was constantly looking for those journals for, like, guidance. Damn. And that sort of inspired the story. Dude, you know that sentence, this, the truth is stranger than fiction? That's not, like, strange. It's more, like, beautiful. For sure, yeah. But, like, wow, what a story. Holy yeah. shit. I still think, like, writing has really made me better at looking for those things in life. Mm. Like, I feel like... For the first time, not everything I'm writing is totally fabricated. Like, I'm mm-hmm. taking a lot from my life. Nice. That's sick. Yeah. So, would you... So, like, I called you a director as, like, your, you know, professional title, but would you, do you see yourself more as a writer than a director? I mean, writing's what I do, like, every day. Okay. I, mean, I only get to direct a few days, uh, you know, before COVID, like, a few days a month. Mm. I would direct a music video, and the rest Damn. of the time I'm writing. Hell yeah. So, do you think that, I mean, the directing is, like, a... a obviously, it's, a like creative, and, and I'm sure, like, it's in it's uh, fulfilling and you know it's your profession yeah. but uh, if you if you had your dream job would you just be writing or would you write and direct um, dream project like you have the biggest budget imaginable I mean, honestly my, my dream job would be like a pro tennis player and then a Formula 1 driver lit and then I, if I had to choose <laughs> writing or directing I'd choose writing but like okay. I don't have to choose yeah, Formula <laughs> so, One and pro tennis. Yeah, would be I, like, I didn't have the money to be an F one driver, and I didn't have the hype to be a pro tennis player. So nice. I got stuck directing. Nice. <laughs> Not a bad one. Stuck <laughs> like that's sick. Yeah. So um, so I've seen some of your music videos, and they're fucking amazing. I mean, we were just watching one. That shit was sick. Um, when you get reached out for a music video, who's usually who are you usually in touch with? Who's who gets in touch with you? How do they get in touch yeah. with you? I mean, it totally depends. I get briefs sent to me from my reps. And then from commissioners at labels, like I'm pretty close to the Capitol guys and with the Republic guys. Nice. Um, I never really get briefs directly from artists mm-hmm. or from producers, but 
usually I'll just get a brief from someone and then I'll write a treatment and I'll, you know, I write three treatments a week. Right. So let me ask you this, like directing, obviously, um, not an easy job to have, not like as far as like, it's difficult, but also like very difficult to find jobs. It seems, you know, people always talk about the, the difficulty of the entertainment business. How did you end up getting your feet in or getting your foot in the door as far as like finding work? Like when you first started out, like how did, how did that shit start happening? Well, I mean, I guess so. When I was in Sydney, I was really in the, I was really like plugged into the music scene. I was like hanging out with a lot of musicians and photographers and sick. Um, when I decided I wanted, I, you know, I dropped out of university for a little while mm-hmm. thinking like, you know, just on a little soul searching mission nice. and I found myself interning at a production company and then sort of spent like six months there and I was like, I could probably put together a production. Like this seems kind of easy. Mm-hmm. And then I did, I got like two grand together and I put together a music video and I really liked what I did. And that sort of just led to more and more work. I mean, actually the very first thing I got, I was at a, I was taking photos for like, for party websites, mm-hmm. like, you know, for, so, you know, like socials websites Yeah, yeah. where the photographer goes around taking photos of people at clubs. Like mm-hmm. I was doing that for like two years. Okay. And it led to like taking photos for like a lifestyle blog and taking photos of like meals at restaurants and things like that's, I went around town shooting lunch for like two years. And then at one of those things, I went to shoot a show and I was outside having like a cigarette and like another photographer came out and, and he was like, kind of, I started talking to him and he told me who he was and he, it turns out that he like shot the album cover for Kieran J. Callanan. It's like one of my favorite album covers ever. And like, I started talking to him and he was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm shooting DMAs tomorrow and I want my mom to know what I do. Do you want to come and film me do it? So, so I went and filmed him do it. And then while I was there, I was like shooting DMAs. And then he was like, you can just give me the card and I'll edit it. I was like, I don't mind doing it if you want. And then I edited like a little video and then DMAs really liked it. And they ended up taking me on tour with them to like shoot little footage of them. And I re-edited one of their, like, you know, a couple of their videos and... So I started getting work like that in Sydney, just off like exploring. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really know what was going to happen when I moved to LA and like how work was going to happen. But I guess as soon as I graduated, just I started getting, you know, Kevin Clocker found me and we met and he started giving me pictures and they just kind of spiraled from there. I mean, I've only been working in LA for like a bit over a year. Yeah. Mm. And we've done what, like 11, 12 videos or something. Crazy. It's funny to me how um, the path of an artist with a camera or with a guitar or like whatever artist, is, the paths seem very similar where it's like you're working a job that's like kind of in the field, yeah. like a little, like you're taking pictures of lunch yeah. and then you run into someone and they're like, yeah, like come take this video with me and my mom and then your career just takes off. For sure. I mean, it sick. definitely felt like that. I mean, it definitely felt like things moved in Sydney in a really, really organic way. Mm. And then, then I guess I was like, I met up with... Um, Doug Mitchell who's the producer of Mad Max mm-hmm. one day he just called me out of the blue and I think he got my name from someone else that, like someone else someone, a family friend of a family friend of a family friend or something like that mm-hmm. he just called me asked me like talked to me for like three minutes he's like a great call my assistant book, book coffee or whatever I went in for coffee and then ever since then we've been like close and talking and wow. he's giving me advice and like after I did a few music videos in Sydney I was sort of like well what's my game plan and I sort of went to him and he was like well no one like you know could the even getting from music videos to commercials is tough and then getting from commercials to features is tough so you've got to figure out what you really want to do and make some plan mm. so while I was just kind of exploring and playing around in Sydney I had to come to LA with like a very determined trajectory and like part mm-hmm. 
so he helped me find AFI and guided me towards going to film school here. And nice. So that's kind of what led to LA was AFI. For sure, yeah. And why, um, why did that seem like the path? Like, why did school seem like the move instead of just looking for work? I, yeah, I don't, think I, I don't think I felt like I was ready to shoot a feature. Like, I don't mm. think I really knew. I mean, I remember the first short film I ever did, the DP told me, it was like, you can do the blocking now. And you got like five minutes. And I was like, what's blocking? Mm. He's like, you tell the actors where to go. I was mm. like, okay, I can do that. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, like, things like that, like I had no idea. Like, about. like I was so clueless. And I was like, I've got yeah. to... There's a point where you need to get a plan and like a strategy, and mm. if you want to make, you know, and, and some technical knowledge, I think. That's a great point. So I think I figured I needed that. So I was looking around, and I think there's film school in Australia, but I just, I guess, I wanted to go somewhere where it didn't feel like I was doing an extension of my undergrad because mm. I hated, I've always hated, like, okay, school. I never appreciated when I was there. Yeah, right. I've always like wanted to learn from reading rather than from people. Mm. Um. So I didn't want to go to something that was an extension of an undergrad and like sort of aimless and just some, something people do because they're not ready to make decisions yet. So if I just seemed like it was filled with people who like had already been in the in like a in the field for a bit, like professionals, but yeah. like in an academic because you, re, you re, it requires like five years of experience or something. Oh really? Yeah. Oh shit! With working, which I didn't have at all. But interesting. I also didn't want to go to like a place where it was just people who weren't ready to make decisions about their lives. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I feel that. No, and I, and I totally resonate with um, school really didn't click for me while I was there. Like I either, I either was labeled as a misfit so teachers just didn't take the time or like you, it's funny because you said you preferred reading than like the, yeah. the person. I fucking, I, I lean more towards the person than reading and so homework was what killed me dude. Yeah. Because I would go home I'd be like, I'm done. You know, yeah. I don't want to fucking work now at home. I want to play video games, fucking smoke weed. <laughs> yeah, I guess just like I'm, I, I mean, reading's always been such a massive part of my life. Huh. And okay. I guess like, even at AFI, there's nothing that anyone ever said in a class that I didn't read in a book, mm. either later or before. They, they say that. That's an expression too. I think yeah. you, there's never something you can't learn from a book. It's not For like sure, that. absolutely. I mean, and I think that's true. I mean, the best people in the world at different at every field. Uh, usually the people who write a book about it. Real shit. And That's like, a good point. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't think AFI is a waste of money because it's not really about what you learn from the teachers. It's about what you learn from your from the people around you, from, like, the students. And, like, if the best people in the world go to one film school, then right. that you're going to be in the best cohort to learn. Mm-hmm. Good point. Let yeah. me ask you this. Um, as far as genres, I, I'm... I don't love genres. I don't like borders in general. Just like boundaries and shit. Yeah. I mean, having boundaries is good as a person. But like, what do you do? You find that you have a genre as far as a creative? Uh, not really. I'm not. I don't really even. I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, definitely not. I mean, the, I've written the movies I've written in quarantine. One's a sci-fi. One's a horror. One's nice. the one I'm writing right now is just a buddy road comedy. Nice. Like I've never done anything like that before. That's sick. I mean, I think it's just like I'll get an idea and I'm like, I want to see that through. I mean, the thing I'm writing next is a two-act play. Mm. I've never written a play before. Very cool. Yeah. What inspired writing a play if you've never done it before? Uh, I just had this idea um, kind of based off things that were happening in our life. Okay. And I was like, I just want to... That sounds like a play to me. That's sick. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that's mad cool. So is that kind of just how, how the writing process starts for you? You have an idea, you're like, oh, that's... I like I like that idea that and then you kind of decide if it's a play or if it's a movie or TV. I don't know. I don't. I think I think it's just like I think every every bit of every writing project is so different. Like, mm. 
it's different how it comes to you. It's different how you need to approach it. I think mm-hmm. usually, I mean, there's like eight things that I want to write and I wish I had the time to be writing them all, you know, like, there's totally. like so it's like, and they come, I feel like they come to me and like, I want to explore this, this one idea or this one character and that's just immediately apparent to me like what it needs to be. Mm. And I think there's so, like, there's something about the, um, like the gravitas of actors language in play in theater, mm. which I was like, that makes sense for this story. Ah, like I okay. like, I like those weighted sentences, like looking off into the sunset in a play or whatever, like to kind of talk nice. to the audience. Like those yeah. are great little moments that I've always really liked in theater. And I was like, this is the guy kind of story that was, that's going to have those. That's sick. Yeah. Did you grow up in a home that, cause you said this thing you liked in theater. I don't think most people would like no theater. You know what yeah. I mean? Is that, did you grow up in a home where that was like a big thing? You guys like watch, were you, were your parents into like theater and TV? My, and- my mom and I would go to, um, there's, there's these two theater companies in Sydney. There's a Sydney theater company and there's a, a Griffith theater, I think. Okay. What's it called? I can't remember, but, but theater is quite a big thing in Sydney. There's like a lot of, a okay. lot, lot of playhouses and cool. So my mom and I would go, she would get season tickets and she would take my brother and I on like rotation. Mm-hmm. So we each got to go to like half with her. <laughs> so we went to a lot of plays. I mean, yeah, we really loved them growing up. That's fire. Where you, so speaking of Sydney, you know, um, Australia, very, very far from here. <laughs> Experience been like coming to the US. How does it feel? Uh, I mean, I've been here, well, I've been here four, four years now. So I feel like I'm a little bit more comfortable with the people, but obviously everyone's did. I mean, What's like a diff- big difference though? Because I don't think I'm, I don't really have any idea of like Australia. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who are those? Who are they? Who are the Australians? Um, I, it's such a huge question. Like, I know. Talking it's... about like I don't know. It's hard enough to think about one culture identity. Like trying to compare two. No, I feel you. But like, as far as how's it being so far from home? I guess is a better question. Like, is it weird being? Across the world? I mean, I miss Sydney. I miss Sydney a lot. I think I always wanted to leave. I think Sydney's like... I think a lot of people in Sydney kind of... You get this feeling of it being like a small town. Like, the world sort of sees Sydney as a very, you know, uh, provincial, colonial, Hmm. settlement-y... You know, it's like... It's like a... The rest of the world sees Sydney as a holiday destination. I see what you mean. Yeah. So I think... I always felt like I wanted to get out. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry about that sorry yeah so I always knew I wanted to leave Sydney I just and I always kind of thought I wanted to go to LA and so I got here and then I was like well maybe I don't want to be in LA but then it's four years later and I'm, I haven't left <laughs> yeah that's it's so funny I have a friend out here um, who's from New York and he's like he's like I always never I never expected to stay here this long and he's like whenever I leave I tell myself if I don't want to go back I won't and he's like but he's been here for like 55 years you can't leave yeah. It's there's something here. There's an energy here. For sure. I think there's like for, for me LA has this like non non offensive quality. Like it's mm. it's not super nice. It's not super gross. Mm. It's just sort of like a generic place to be. Yeah. I hear that. It makes <laughs> right, sense too. Like, it's just yeah. built in the desert. Yeah. I mean the thing is like Sydney is so beautiful and it's so like easy to get around and easy to get good food and hmm. easy to meet nice people and like easy to have fun it's just like such an easy city it almost feels like a fantasy of a life mm-hmm. so I think LA is quite a tough city I hear that but it still has a lot of like comfort so it's like you know it's not probably not as rough as somewhere like you know Chicago or I don't know New York maybe like winters and stuff too yeah. yeah it's just quite a but it's also you know it's not it's not like the biggest 
it's not the hottest city to be in. Definitely. No, it's that. <laughs> I, I quite like it. The yeah. weather makes it very livable. Yeah, uh, it, it is one of those things that, like, I'm not... I need a map to drive mm-hmm. everywhere. And LA is, like, like built on itself so mm-hmm. many times over. You make one wrong turn and you just for the next like hour yeah you don't use the actual map though you use like the gps yeah. right i said i use the actual map I, well, the way you said it i'm just picturing you like driving around with like this 70 foot map yeah. that is fucking funny just paving your path through life yeah um so let me circle back as much as i like talking about cities and stuff i want to focus a little bit more on you um, do, you do you want me to put it on yeah, yeah. Like sweating i got you bro i got you <laughs> well then we'll edit this little part out i'm running out of here this is going really well though, man is it yeah I'm it. I felt you just saying that. No. <laughs> Definitely not, because I know what I want this podcast to be. I put it to 72. I feel like that will bring it down. Yeah, great. Um, what I want this podcast to be, though, is like for people who are like aspiring writers or aspiring directors. Did you want to show up? Yeah. Hair of the dog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes it. I, I, my original interview series was called Night with Will instead of Living with Will. And uh, it was when I was working at Sony. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, your, your career kind of starting with musicians and um, in music in Australia. Because my, my career started in music in New York. I got really in, in Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn hip hop scene because um, of people like Cypher League and shit. And. Um, I, but I always wanted to do the interviewing. Like I told yeah. you, that always, I've always wanted to be a comedian, always wanted to talk to people. I just fuck with people. Yeah. And like, um, my original interview series was called Night with Will and I would get musicians just plastered, just fucked up at their shows and then interview them all night, like go out with them. And, uh, and I found, yeah, drinking really, it, it makes people, not a lot of drinking. I'm not I'm responsible yeah. drinking. It just makes people comfortable <laughs> with themselves, you know? For sure. Like 0.08 yeah. drinking. Yeah. Oh, some shit. So, definitely. I feel like I'm so wrapped up in my own head anyway. I don't, I'm probably not going to like what I say when I'm drinking. I'm probably not going to like what I say sober, but at least drinking gives you an excuse. <laughs> I'm not going to like what I say, but it'll give me an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking beautiful. So, we were talking about Sydney. We were talking about LA. I want to circle it back a little bit and just go back into kind of the story of Al. Um... So you're a writer, you're a director, and you have projects in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we don't have to touch on this if, if you can't, but um, we when we first met, we were talking about kind of some of the things that you had going on that were yours, like not other people's music videos, but like projects of your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about that, like a lot of people coming into this business, like you said, um, the easiest way to, to make your script is to make it yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come in wanting to do that, but like can't. So how did you, how did you transition or how did you feel comfortable going from shooting other people's stuff to then pitching your own? I mean, I haven't shot any, I, I haven't really shot that much of my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I mostly have done music videos and like a couple of shorts, but I never pitched the shorts to anybody. I was just like, I want to see this. Yeah. I don't really care what anyone says. I've got, you know, I like... Work at you used to like work at a bar at a club full time. Mm-hmm. I live with my parents, so I just like take that money and like put it straight into like a movie. Nice. And then I did. I've done that a lot. And then now I've got these features, which I raised money for to shoot this horror. Um, and then kind of we were going to shoot it this year, and then COVID happened, and just mm. 
funding disappears and everything disappears. But I mean, how do I feel comfortable to pitch that? I mean, you don't have like you don't have the luxury of not being comfortable. Mm. Like you need the well like you need money to make movies. It's like such a you know like it it it's such a industry of privilege, especially like directing. Like you need so much support to be able to get anywhere. And like I was so lucky, I was able to like live with my parents in, in like you know in college when I was starting things, and I was so lucky that. I got a grant from the government, from the Australian government to go to school here. And, you know, like, I'm so lucky that I got all these things that like, you know, without them, you know, my mum the other day was like, if like, how would you have been able to do what you are doing without like us helping you when you're in college or whatever? And I was like, I, just, I couldn't, Yeah, like, I couldn't have done it without that support. And like so many people who don't have that support. It's tough. It's just, it's already such a tough industry and it just makes it so much worse. Yeah. I mean, look at the numbers, like even for like AFI, apparently, they get something like, I don't know, 4,000 applicants, 2,000 applicants or something. And then they accept 24 directors. And then every year in America, you have like 8,000 grads coming into the industry. But there's like only 100 directors that are really doing like really great work. And I bet like most people only know like six of them. Mm. So it's like the num- the numbers are just insane. Like that 8,000 just stacks up every year to like add to people, people waiting for a chance. Yeah, wow, that's a great point, and 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 I'm glad that you had some of the numbers in hand because I think, first of all, I want to say I think people kind I mean, of those are like rough. I don't know the exact no, numbers, but, but, but like, like, I think those feel kind of like it's an estimate of, of reality. Yeah, like I, and I appreciate you saying it too because like I don't want to make people jaded and be like don't pursue this, but I think it's important. Like if you're gonna pursue paths like these, it's important to know like, mm. like when I when I left the government to do like comedy and shit. I had to have the conversation with myself like, yo, this might not work. And I and I want to tell people, you know, I always promote people pursuing their dreams and their passions, but have the honest conversation like, and have you, so as far as, and this is like one of those questions where feel free if you don't like the, the, the question, but like, have you ever thought of a plan B? Like, what if the directing doesn't go? What, what do I do next? I don't think, I don't think having a plan B is going to help you go in an industry like this. I think but, you have to be like all all in or bust like nice. you just have to like if you have any doubt in your mind it's like I don't know I feel, I don't know, I feel like a, a super cool metaphor that might work would be like bullfighting like if you have any hesitation in bullfighting like you can't have a plan B like the bull Sick. will kill you if you, have a plan. if you have any hesitation it's gonna destroy you nice I love that so that's sick and that's not to say whoever's listening, if you have plan B, it, you, it could work. But I love, I, I'm with you though. I like the idea of if you're going to do it, just fucking do it. Just go for it. Yeah. Fight I mean, the yeah, I'm definitely not shitting on people who have a plan, who have a plan B. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, I just, I figure like a plan B, if it, you know, if I come up with a plan B. You're doubting yourself from the, you're already. Well, it's just like, how, how long does it take to come up with a plan B? Like I'll figure mm-hmm. out a plan B when I hit rock bottom. Like. Then I'll get it. like my plan B is like if plan A doesn't work. Yeah, nice. That's well, sick. You know, and the other thing is like now I've got music videos and I've kind of proven to myself I can I can have a career, a commercial career. Yeah, you're so not I, the person who needs a plan. So B, I guess my plan B is doing commercials and music videos mm. until. And but the other mm. thing is like, at what point do you call quits? Like as long as you can mm. keep your life going, which I can right now. Like why would I even need to think about quitting? Like, I love that. I don't have my feature yet, but I can keep trying until. While, yeah. while I'm making money doing other stuff, I can keep trying. Well, no, I think that's I, you're making great points too. Um, and I was saying this to you as an aside, um, but you know, part of this interview process is I want to interview people who can help inspire like a, a generation that's coming up underneath, right? Like yeah. the directors who are now applying for AFI and shit. And uh, and so I really appreciate 
the the answers you're giving because I hope that it, it motivates people like you might not get your feature made immediately but you're going to get commercials or you're going to get music videos just putting the work in other fields yeah. it'll lead you to where you want to go I think a lot of people myself included are like I'm going to go in the entertainment industry make my feature immediately and win an Oscar day one yeah I mean you know like it's crazy like I, I realized I found out today people always talk about how Citizen Kane's the greatest directorial debut ever mm-hmm. and like you know, obviously, it's a piece of genius, and the guy's amazing. And mm-hmm. he was like, what, 24, 25 or something when he did it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not his first feature. He had a feature before. It's an hour long, mm-hmm. and it looks like shit. Yeah. It's like no one comes out and just nail. I mean, you know, people do, but usually they have this, like, long history that's very closely related. Mm-hmm. Like, even, I mean, the guy... Who's the guy who did The Graduate? Oh, man. Um... I knew someone. I know someone who went to Emerson. It's a screenwriting producing like undergrad school in Boston. And I know, uh, I know Emerson. I know some people went to Emerson. They watched. They were, one of their classes yeah. was on the graduate and the director. So I know they're gonna be like, "Will you idiot? We talked about this." Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Yeah. So I think, I'm pretty sure Mike Nichols' debut was. Um, I'm really smart. Just remembering it. Definitely not looking up my phone right now. So his debut is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Which is unbelievable. I'm pretty sure that wins an Oscar. Yeah, watch that. I've never and seen. And then, it. but that's in 1966. He's born in 1931. I don't know. I don't think I, I probably chose the director I know the least about to make a point. That mm-hmm. <laughs> like usually these great debuts that we think of, they also have this massive history, or they've been work, they've been doing it in some form, either through theater or just through writing. I mean, like writing is directing in your head, and paper's cheap. Yeah. You can just write all the time, and you're basically making movies all the time. And that's a solid point. I, I get, when I get better at writing, I get better at directing because really, writing and directing are the same thing. They're like so similar. Hmm. Writers are just tend to be, I think, people who don't want the like the visual pressure of being a director, or they mm. don't want to deal with the politics of being a director. But really, like the script is the beginning is like so much of what makes a movie. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that's actually a great point. Mm. Um, and also, when you think about like all directors and writers are doing. Uh, working out character motivation and working out like personality and people in the context of a of a imaginary situation yeah and they both have the same task which is like why would someone do this like or what would they do in this situation mm-hmm. and it's usually the writers do a lot of the heavy lifting and figure it out for the director but then you need to look at the source material to like find what their intention was but sometimes you have to do it yourself and if you're the writer too then you definitely have to do it yeah so you spoke on um, character motivation and, and that being what the director and the writer need to find out when you write or when you direct and you have a character um, do you put yourself in the character's shoes when you're writing like in your writing process for example if you write a character who's like looking for yeah. their father um, or like looking to learn about their father are you putting yourself in that character's shoes in the moment or do you write from just like an omnipotent perspective. No, I think I think like you have. So it, it totally depends. I mean, I wrote a, I wrote one of the scripts I wrote during quarantines, like at the sci-fi. It's so plot driven that like, I if you ask me, I don't even know the character's name. Mm. Doesn't matter to me yet. I haven't really figured out the character. I just wanted to figure out the plot and mm. like, the big set pieces and, like the thrill the thrill of it. But then other stories. Sorry, I'm like. <laughs> it's okay. You're good. You're good. I, t- I will. Uh, anytime you say like, if you if you take a long pause yeah. or a long um, I will edit. Take your it's time. Sure. It's totally fine. Um, I mean, yeah. Like so, other stories like I, that are all character driven. Mm-hmm. I've got to figure out. I get. I write. I'll write pages and pages and pages of prose from the character's point of view. 
Nice. Until like I'm thinking like them, and then damn. Um, and then also have that prose to give to the actor eventually, hopefully, mm. if it gets made. Um, that's really cool. I it's, that, not, it's not it's not so much it's not so much that like I get uh, I don't know I have to you you like you're an actor when you're writing. Mm. You like act you like act as the character. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if I, get, I get like when I read when I read books. I start if if there's a really strong narrative point of view from the writer like I read Catch in the Rye the other like a few weeks ago and I just I was thinking like like I was talking and thinking in like the Salinger voice hmm. for like weeks hmm. it's like that's quite like it's important to be able to get into the headspace of another person when you're writing for sure nice but yeah, yeah it's not like you're putting yourself in the character it's like you're trying to let the character take over you mm-hmm. when you write have you seen um Oh, I forget the name of the movie. Jim Carrey plays some actor, and uh, he gets so into the character that he, like, it's like he becomes schizophrenic, and he is the guy. Jim Carrey. Oh, uh, Man on the Moon. Is it Man on the Moon? Man on the Moon, where he, where he becomes... Um, Andy... Andy Kaufman. Yes. Well, so, so it's the documentary of the making of Man on the Moon, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like that, except Jim Carrey just takes it to yeah. a whole other level. Which is an all, that's, that's like, that documentary is better than the movie. But I totally, yo, it's yeah. wild. Yeah. Like, and, and it goes to show how... Nothing wrong with the movie, the movie's no, pretty, pretty cool too. Of course, of course. <laughs> but it goes to show just how talented Jim Carrey is too, that like, he becomes them. Yeah. He was, uh, that was a whole other level, I've never seen that. Yeah. Um, and, but I love it, and I like hearing you talk about this too, because like, as much as I like... The interviewing and, and the personality shit, I love to write as well. And so I like when I speak with other writers or like hear about their writing process because everyone is different. Yeah. But like you can hear some, you can hear the levels of like professionalism in some people, like how you were speaking about it. Like my dad is a, a nonfiction writer. That's and awesome. yeah, but he take the amount of notes this man takes and the amount of books that he reads, dude. He told me he took like 730 pages of notes for one chapter. I'm like, how do you read? Yeah. And you were saying you read more than you like learn from people. So it's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, I ways. have like, for any project that I have, I have like pages and pages and pages and pages of notes and like saved, like, you know, I, I go on JSTOR all the time and like pull articles and, mm-hmm. um, I take a ton of notes and what's funny is like normally I do like I feel like I do like I feel like very much like an academic yeah who's making movies like I love researching I love reading and so like most of the movies I do usually it's like I've got pages of notes on like literary theory or like I don't know like uh, yeah I wrote this horror movie about a mom and mom and her son so I wrote there's like a lot of notes on like the archetypal mother and like what like the the, what symbolism of mothers have meant over time Mm. and then What's funny is like doing a comedy for the first time, all my notes are just like on funny movies. Like I've just got pages of notes on those like lines that I like from Zorba the Greek. Nice. Or, that's like, awesome. Or, like, you know. <laughs> no, that's, that's so legendary and so true because like um, just as like all we can pull from is personal reference, yeah. right? Like I've, I've been trying to develop and in my head, I'm trying to like start just writing more, right? And so I wrote like this little animated thing I submitted and I wrote a uh, spec script, but I'm also trying to write this like really just expansive novel yeah. and I'm trying to write it over the next like 30 years I'm not even going to, the, the, <laughs> to it, like the idea of it at all but like what's it called? not even not, <laughs> there is no name it's, it's, it's untitled untitled yeah. uh, novel project right now yeah. um, but uh, in the amount of research I'm taking notes I, ne- I didn't even think about it I just started writing one day I was just like I was watching Naruto I think 
Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I really like that. Like the different Kages, I think it was. There's like the Hokage, Siju Kage. There's all these different like leaders. I've never seen Naruto, sorry. Not an anime person. No, I mean, I like, I mean, the anime I like is, I like Satoshi Khan a lot. and Satoshi Khan? Satoshi Khan. Did Paprika, Perfect Blue. Oh, uh, bet. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, okay. Millennium Actress. Uh, and, you know, like Miyazaki and... Of course. Ghost in the Shell was like one of the first, my first introductions to anime. Ghost in the Shell is one of those that everyone has told me that that has seen it, so that or like read it or whatever, so like I need to fucking get on it. Yeah, I, I never did. I don't know why. It's like you with Naruto, it just yeah. didn't happen. It's funny, actually, when I was like, when I was like, uh, like when I was like 16 or 15, I got really into anime, like was reading like manga and like mm-hmm. read the whole Death Note. Damn, Death Note's fire. And like, I, then, so then, then I guess like I got to... And I drove, like, just totally dismissed it until... Mm-hmm. It's not like I dismissed it, I just, like... It fell out. I don't know. It wasn't... No, I get it. I was interested at that point in my life. And now it's, like... I watch Satoshikon movies, like, a couple times a mm-hmm. month. Like, yeah. I love... I love him. It's something different, man. Yeah. He's, like, unbelievable. Yeah. That's a dream, for sure, is to, is to create... Would you go into animation? Would you do an animated film at some point I feel like it's like I said before like when I come up with an idea I just like immediately I know what it's going to be like maybe mm-hmm. one day it could happen I've got no I don't really think too much about it's like it's like when I write characters I don't write like race until I know until it becomes apparent to me mm. and then I don't write like even like sometimes gender I won't even write gender until it's like that this this character is telling me the, the, the gender it's like you get these ideas and you, maybe one day I'll be like this is an animated movie that's cool. I mean, there's a That's lot of sick. there's a lot of really interesting things that I made that I want to explore. Like there's, like the amount of information that you get across in a single frame, because you can simplify so much except for just the key details, things like that. So maybe, if I ever come up with an idea where it's like so quick or it's so outlandish that it's like, well, that has to be animated because no one's going to pay to let me make this real. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know. I love that. So of the projects that you have right now, like or the you're writing the play. You have the sci-fi, the horror. If you can choose one, like... Well, dude, I've, I've got... I've actually... like The one the, the projects I'm actively working on right now... Mm-hmm. I've got the Buddy Road comedy. Mm-hmm. I've got the horror. I've got the sci-fi. The play, I've just got notes on. I haven't actually started writing it yet. Mm-hmm. And I've got another movie um, called Hollywood Darling, which nice. is like... Cool name. Yeah, which it's is... like a film noir. No, it's, it's <laughs> like... It's like a... It's like a it's like a love story between like a son and his mom. Okay. As his mom's like passing away Damn. into dementia and she's like oh. flipping into her memories and he sort of finds out who his mom really was and right before he loses her. And that's like that movie's like my dream project. Like wow. I'm, I'm so excited to do it one day, but it's really big budget. Yeah. It doesn't sound should. like it, but it really you know, yeah. like there's a lot in it. Yeah. Switching um, time time frames, I'm sure, to like the costumes and yeah. shit. Yeah, I mean, I want like I want eventually I want him to be like sucked into her memories. Damn. So he's actually living out in her memories. Like some, uh, I was gonna say Donnie Darko with like the time warp yeah. thing. Yeah. Damn. So that's crazy. That's my dream project right that's now. That's cool, man. That sounds amazing. But I'm gonna need like a lot of money, a lot of support, <laughs> and like I'm gonna need to make good movies to prove that I can do that. So, yeah. Like well, right right now, I want to shoot the Buddy Road comedy this year. Nice, because it's because I could do it for like I think I could probably do it for three hundred thousand dollars if I can raise it. Damn, it's just like two people driving from Chicago to Santa Barbara. Nice, I got it. Yeah. You got to check out Smoke Signals. That's a good yeah. one for you to touch right. base on, because it's fucking it's yeah. on that same premise, but like I write it down. Yeah, write it down, man. I think you'll really like it, it's, especially if you're into like researching and shit. Yeah. As far as 
But uh, that's sick. So so it sounds to me like if you could, my question was going to be if you could get one of those made tomorrow, we would probably. Well, it's one of those things. It's like if I could do Hollywood Darling tomorrow, like I don't know if I'd be good enough, which is part of the reason why I've like put it away so many times. And yeah. I think I'm just gonna be writing it for a while because it's a really, really complicated movie, and I'm not the direct, I'm not a good enough director yet. Cool that you have that so, that like self. Yeah. Self, uh, I mean, I, know, I can see how complicated it's gonna be, and it's mm. really gonna take a lot to work. Mm. And um, that's fucking cool. Because I sort of see it as like it's sort of like I grew up on Princess Bride. Mm. It's like, classic. That's we, like one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Classic. We, we grew up in my family grew up in Italy, and mm. on the trip from Australia to Italy, we stopped in Thailand. And we got two VHSs, Star Wars Episode Four and uh, Princess Bride. Fire. And that's all we had growing up. We just watched them again and again and again until they were like shreds. Mm-hmm. And so our whole family can do the entire Princess Bride, like back to front. That's a classic, dude. That was one of my family lived in France, and that was like the movie we watched, yo. Yeah, that I mean, it. that was a, it was like a commercial flop in the cinema, and then the VHS sales made it like a massively successful movie. Like, it that was, was one of the first. It VHS was a flop. Success, like home home entertainment successes, yeah. That's unreal. I can't yeah. imagine that. You know what else was a flop? Have you ever seen Road to El Dorado? So different. Yeah. <laughs> it's an animated. <laughs> it sounds like it was a flop. <laughs> it's an animated like Ellen Jaw movie. They're so yeah. different. I don't know why yeah. I pulled that from somewhere, but also a flop. I mean, that's what just came up when you thought a flop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was Ellen John with the whole soundtrack. You wouldn't think that movie would would. Uh, you wouldn't think Elton would line himself with. An animated movie? Yeah. No, you wouldn't. Um, but yeah, what were, what were we saying? Oh yeah, so I think I think I think I sort of the way I see my career is like very like strategic now. Where I'm like I know the movies that I want to make before I can make Hollywood Darling. Mm, that's so, so like cool. I think I want to make this. I wanted to make the this horror, mm. but then that fell apart. That was I wanted that to be my opening movie, my debut. But now I guess if I can get this road comedy going, which is so weird, cause I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do a comedy again, but. I don't know, maybe I'll just be a comedy director now. I'm actually finding it really fun writing comedy scenes. Like it's yeah. really... Comedy it's such a different mu- muscle. The best. Especially like best going muscle. from horror to comedy. That's a I'm realizing how similar position. they are. Really? Well, they're all about building up to a punchline. Like every single time. Hmm. I mean, yeah. most scenes should be about building up to a punchline, but I feel like they're both such physical genres. Like the response that you want from the audience is physical. That's great. Yeah, and like, that's so true. And uh, so I think building up that... Building up like tension or... You know, like I put a lot of my best jokes I'll try to put after something really sad or mm. to like to, to give someone like then you want the release or then you want like you know thinking about the body when you write a story is like mm. a very similar thing in the end so wow I'm finding it really I'm finding it really fun yeah and I think I'm writing some pretty funny stuff I'm excited I'm excited <laughs> to hear it and see it I um it's funny you say that because I never thought about this till right now but when I was working at ICM and I'd read scripts um mm. They, and for people who don't know, ICM's like a talent agency and they get a lot of scripts that they got, you know, either work on or send to clients. It's a whole, that's a story for another day. But I figured I'd give them a little, a little piece yeah, of that. Yeah. But I had to read scripts for one of the agents I was working for and I never really was into horror visually. Like I just, I don't like watching shit happen to people. I can't get it out of my head yeah. and shit for months. So I don't really like watching horror, but I would read horror scripts and I love them. Yeah. Cause like. I wasn't seeing it. I, I mean, I didn't like, but like, you're right. It led up to a punchline and I'd be on the edge of my yeah. seat until it happened. And then they would kind of bring me back down and we'd yeah. keep going a little bit. Give me a little, like the girl gets saved or some shit. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, that was one of the cool things about the horror that we were doing is like, no one really died. One, nice. one person dies in it. Cool. And it's like, it's not like, well, the horror isn't a monster. It's like, 
Damn. I mean, I should cut that because that's the twist. <laughs> <laughs> that would be for me. Be. I mean... <laughs> I like that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that movie... I, mean, I saw that, that movie's also, it's based on Medea. Okay. Like a Greek, Greek myth, a Greek uh, uh, play by Euripides, which is okay. super cool because Medea is the first play in Western... I you talking about Tyler Perry. Sorry? I thought you were talking about Tyler Perry. But continue. Tyler Perry is a movie called Medea. Does he have a character named Medea? I don't know. Anyways, continue. I'll cut that out. Sorry so, again. So, sorry so again. Medea is the husband of Jason. Do you know Jason the Golden Fleece? Yes. So she's yes. the wife of Jason and... Okay. Um, Euripides is the first playwright in the Western canon to have stories that aren't um, it's not about, it's not the gods playing around with people mm-hmm. it's people making their own mistakes oh okay so it's the first time that like Greek theatre moves from and it's called Medea yeah it's called Medea Duh. and it's yeah yeah. so it's like this horror movie is based on this Greek tragedy Damn. and no one dies nice but it's really really scary and it's like deeply uns- un- like I've given it to a few people who are like I'd like I can't deal with this material. It's too... Holy shit. It's too dark. Even though, like, nothing really happens. Nice. It's just, like, the right idea. The right, like... I gotta check that out. Yeah. That's fucking cool, dude. Yeah. Nice. I will... I mean... Damn. I gotta, I gotta catch myself. I'm fucking with what you're saying, dude. Yeah. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to cut myself out in a couple of times. Because I'm like... <laughs> you, what you were saying about horror and comedy was like... Damn, that show is valid. Yeah, I mean the other thing I heard this gra- I heard this guy I forget who it was. It might have been like Mel Brooks or something. Came to our school and gave a little talk. Oh. I don't think I don't want to give this to Mel Brooks. Cause I don't think it was Mel Brooks, and I don't want to like give the credit to the wrong guy. But yeah, someone came. Someone came and they said with horror and comedy, it's the same thing where um, right after the last laugh and the ra- the last scare, cut the movie because no one wants it anymore. Like that's all they came for. They just came for the laugh and the scare. Like so, as soon as you have your last scare of the movie, cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that it's so similar like that in that like you're going for a bodily response. So like once the bodily response ends, you're not inter- interested anymore. That is fire. End with your best laugh. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, not even not with best. your best laugh. Yeah. Just end. You know, when, when if the one. movie's going for five minutes and there's no more jokes left, like why are you wasting my time, Adam Sandler? That's a good point. <laughs> I'm trying to think. For some reason, Pineapple Express came to my head when I was thinking about comedy. Mm-hmm. I was like, what was their last joke? And I think it was them. Have you seen that movie? With Seth Rogen, yeah, yeah. Of it's them at the diner after the massive gunfight, and they're all fucked up, and they're yeah. just eating shit. It's a great scene, yo. And they're like, and so funny. what's his name is like dying. Yeah. Um, yeah, James yeah. Franco is like yeah, dying, yeah. bleeding out. Oh yeah. no, red, and they had to take yeah. him to the hospital. Yo, damn, it's a great. It's like probably that's probably the funniest scene in the movie. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a good yeah. point. And then I'm trying to think. I just watched a horror the other day, and it it ended on a scare. Yeah. Like they thought that they had beaten back this yeah. like plague. It was like a plague. Yeah. Also. Great recommendation for you as far as writing and for the podcast. Um, a show called Kingdom. Yeah, it's I've seen a, Kingdom. You've seen it? The Korean show? Yeah. It's really good. Korean zombie, yeah. samurai it's show. It's fun. That's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. And they ended on a scare too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the other thing about horror is I, I kind of have this like working theory about what makes it a horror and what makes it... Like, I feel like there's a difference between a slasher and a horror. Okay. Or a monster movie and a horror. I feel like there's a difference. And the difference, I think, for me is that a horror is a movie where... At the end, what is horrific is not the monster, but is like something more us. more profound. So like, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's us. Sometimes yeah. it's like there's this awesome Spanish movie called The Orphanage. I think. Actually, I'm not gonna ruin that for people. Just go watch The Orphanage. I mean, cool. The, the twist at the end is like what's horrific is 
what's horrific in a good horror movie is never the monster. Mm. It's something that the monster's representing, or it's something that someone's ignoring because ignoring to face them, you know, using the monster to ignore facing it themselves. Mm-hmm. And like the greatest horror is usually something like our own guilt, or like mm. yeah. So I think my my working definition of horror versus like slasher is like a slasher is when the monster's the monster, yeah. and a horror is when the monster is a cover up for the more horrific thing. It's or the funny. more horrific truth. Like yeah. No, in the in the example you gave, where it was guilt, the movie I was referencing, I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want to ruin it. But it was exactly that yeah. they had. It was like there was something horrifying the entire movie, and then they ended up becoming the evil people, right. and then they're guilty as fuck afterwards. Yeah. It's like you fucked up. Yeah, should have just been a good person. Yeah, and I mean those movies make the greatest twists in the horror movies, where mm-hmm. it's like oh, it's not, it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not. I mean, not that, not that like a vamp. Uh, what is it like a a werewolf in London what's that movie yeah um, that sounds good an American werewolf in London like not that that's not a great movie yeah but a true horror movie I think the monster should be a cover up for the greater truth mm-hmm. and the truth should be more horrific than what you were, what you thought you were scared of real shit especially now like when I feel like that genre is exploding I don't mm-hmm. know why is it that people can make them like low budget horror yeah because I see, I, I heard from someone yeah. that that's a, they're part of the reason that we see so much of it right now. Yeah. Is that it's low budget and people go, but how is that? I think the, th- the thinking is that, and again, like I'm not, obviously I'm not like a studio person. Yeah, not, sure. not again, not like I've said that before, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not a studio person. <laughs> but um, I think the thinking is that you don't need name talent to bring audiences because horror has such a big, um, like committed audience that right. we just see everything. Okay. Um, so I think the thinking is that you don't need a big actor and you just focus on production nice um, but now more and more you're getting bigger actors that are joining in horror productions too mm-hmm. now that's fire So, where we left off before the ad break. Before the ad break, we were discussing things of different natures. <laughs> That's how I remember it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to ask you a question I ask a lot of people, which is, and you kind of brought up advice that you got in your career. But my first question <laughs> will be for someone who's trying to pursue a career, whether as a director or a writer, mm. what would just be like some words of wisdom that you give them in that regard? I mean, if you're a writer, write. Just, like, write all the time. Like, the paper's cheap. You don't need anyone's permission to write. And, like, you get so many people who are like, I want to be a writer. And it's like, well, send me some stuff that you've written. And, like, they don't have anything. They're like, well, I've got this idea. It's like, I don't want your... Like, I don't want an idea. I want to read a script. I want to, like, see how you do on page. Like, I don't know. Like, if you're a writer, write. It's the easiest thing in the world to get going. And it's yeah. the easiest thing to get better at because there are so many great books on writing. Most of them are called something like On Writing. <laughs> you know, like... That's a good point. There's a... There's a, there's a, if you're a writer, the first thing you should do is buy Into the Woods and read that a couple of times. Mm. It's an unbelievable book. Yeah. And watch movies. And if you're a director, same thing. Read writing books. Read um, Sidney LeMay on filmmaking. And, like, you don't need anyone's permission to go make a movie with your friends. I mean, like, Spike Jones got his career started by going out with a bunch of friends and pulling pranks and started Jackass. So true. You know, like he just shot skate videos with his friends and then eventually shot music videos and then eventually shot commercials and then shot 
being John Malkovich. Wild move. Yeah. Wild That's a wild move. move. Yeah. Um, and, and I, that door. I also think the other thing is like no one has the same career path that you're going to have. Like everyone has their own career path. Once someone does something, you almost can't do it again. So find your own way through. Don't waste time like making the movie that you think you should make. Make the movie that you want to make. Make the movie that you want to see. Write the movie that you want to see. And then when you write it and it's good, like hold on to it and try to take it the whole way. Fire. That's great advice. And what's some advice that you got from someone along the way? I mean, this is this is all advice I've gotten from people. For nice. Sure. Nice. I mean, like, I got. I mean, Tarantino uh, did a talk at our school. And he said, "Think about the movie that you want to see and make it. Think about the movie that you want to see that you haven't seen." make that because you know no one no one wants to see like an inauthentic vision no one wants to see like another movie again I mean even Tarantino who does make other movies again makes them so you know his own mm-hmm. that's a great point um, no that's fire but yeah I mean I think that's that, that, that all is not my stuff that's all people things people have told me mm. I mean I think the other thing is if you want to be a director the job of a director is to be interested in everything Mm-hmm. You've got to be interested in how people talk when they're tired, how people talk after a meal. You've got to be interested in what the light looks like in your part of the world at any particular time. You've got to be interested in like your relationship with memory. You've got to be interested in like every single subject. You've got to be interested in like you just you're just a director is someone who's genuinely interested in everything. Like even when you look at like the departments, a director shouldn't be a better cinematographer than the cinematographer but they should know a lot and they should know a lot about sound and they should know a lot about acting but they're obviously not as much as the actors so you're like a generalist and I think the best thing a director can be is like interested in the world fire that's yeah. sick yeah and probably also true with writers I mean writers should be but writers also you get people who are just like I do crime that's what I like that's mm-hmm. what I'm interested in and they just stick to it and it's great mm-hmm. which is fine too it's, it's almost better if you're a writer to just be like this is what I like I'm doing this mm-hmm. and just be the best at that. Nice. So, yeah. and then um, as far as yourself, man, what's something that you're working on right now in terms of like, not just, not like a project or, or it could also be an artistic project, but what's something that you're working on internally uh, in your life? I mean, I feel like I'm sort of, LA is such a, I think America generally maybe I found to be like a very unspiritual place. Mm-hmm. I feel like I spent, you know, I was raised Catholic and then I sort of have always been very interested in spirituality and always kind of been engaged with spirituality. I remember when I was like 15, I told my parents I was going to become a Lutheran. And then the next year I told them I wanted to become a monk. And then, you know, like I used to want to be a Franciscan monk. And like, you know, like, I, and that's a side of me that sort of disappeared in LA. And now like, I'm trying to get it back a little bit. Like I'm meditating again. And, why do you think LA? Why do you think it's? Why do you think it's the the? US I know if it's just. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know if it's just LA. I think it's America is like a very, like the defining sort of, religious trend is like Puritanism or you know, like a very commercial version of Christianity. I mean, it's very it's a sort of capitalist. It's so like individualistic, and spirituality is all about like collectivism. It's all about mm. like your relationship to a whole. And I don't think this country puts very much emphasis on its community. That's very well put, and I and I completely agree. As far as community, I'm trying. I like. I want to kind of bring back the community service, community activism uh, component of the podcast. That I think is really important. Are there like with some issue areas or something that you know? Um, I mean, obviously everything's important, but what's something that you like are trying to address or like that you find importance in solving 
uh, I think I've always felt like and part of the reason why I went towards film and why I've always wanted to be involved in writing is like I think of the like you know like the human project <laughs> the human um, experience is all about creating like neural networks like the same as any organism that's growing and any way that you can free up paths of communication between people is a way that kind of solve a lot of issues in the world so I think I want to be a great communicator with my work and I want to be able to link you know two different ideas which is why you know my short film in college even though it was like a pretty shitty short film was about a white supremacist well it's about like the beginnings of a white supremacist I thought that was like an interesting idea to sort of I mean, try to make. I mean, you know, it's probably a little bit misguided, but I think you can see, like, what I think is interesting in it, which is trying to, you know, as a, as someone who who sits pretty firmly on the left, making a movie about someone like that, I think seemed like a really interesting project and like something that a lot of people should kind of consider. Is that people become radicalized, right wing or left wing because of very human things that happen to a lot of people. Yeah. Right, they're all people. We're all people at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I love that, and it, and it's, it's really poignant too, especially in a time like right now where, I kind of, uh, I saw the error in my own activism where I was demonizing ignorant white people, like even though it's important to hold people accountable, it's like at the end of the day, and I, and I was talking about this in a past interview, it's like, um, we're all human beings, even the ones that like are horrible. Like this, some you know what I mean. There, it's a person, and like I, I try to like open my heart to them. It's just tough. Sometimes I want to sure. be like fuck those people. For sure, and I even felt myself. You know, like people are probably listening to this in like you know a month time. It's hard to sort of realize. It's hard. To, it's hard. Activism is really hard right now because it's such an intense moment, and mm-hmm. especially as an outsider, mm-hmm. I feel like this. I feel like it's very difficult, and how much I can be involved, and how much you know, it's like other than offering absolute support like it's not I don't know what I can really like I feel so I am such an outsider like I'm not American I've yeah. never been I don't have any family that are American you mm-hmm. know like yeah I mean no I feel you and it, it, it's like with it with a person like that and I'm sorry if I cut you off did you okay back well no it's just, just that I'm, I'm finding it really difficult with how to be a good human being in this political moment that I don't really feel like I belong in yeah I hear so that like, damn you know, I gave money to BLM and I did these like sort of like lukewarm um, gestures, but it's like I don't really like. I just yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how to be. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people are in that position where they're like trying to figure out how to do the right thing by yeah. by this movement. Yeah, like, I hear you. Outsiders. Me too. I'm I'm one of them, man. I'm I'm definitely an outsider trying to help the ways that I can. The ways that I found are helpful is just using the knowledge you have. And to spread like knowledge is power. Like so, I was an ethnic studies major in school, and I learned about you know these systems of oppression, like the prison industrial complex and redlining, and you know the years of like you know um, structural and institutional racism that a country is based on. And so, like being that I'm a white person, I'm like, all right, I know a lot of white people. Yeah. And the white people, unfortunately, are the people propagating the system of you know racial like fucking racism and sexism and they and the system of capitalism all these yeah. things and different countries too you know it's not it's not singular to the US but like I, with, with what you were saying man like with we have to as much as I want to just say fuck these people and I was saying this to, just the other day like if they're not gonna work with us we gotta just do the work anyway and like create this better world and like continue the, to like educate and re-educate and 
uh, and just try our best. But like, when there's just there's just a hate in the air right now, dude. It's like fucking seventeen year old kid murdering people at a at a protest to put pu- pu- like police injustice. It's like and the, and the police there are like, we appreciate what you guys are doing. Patting them in the water, like it's yeah. it's it's crazy. And I, but I also I also think like it's crazy. I've seen in my experience again of being like. You know, a white outsider in this country at this very like charged moment. Yeah, I think I've sort of seen that the burden of this moment on minority, on people, you know, of minority people is so intense, mm-hmm. and it's causing, it's like, it's causing such serious trauma. I'm sure it's been causing trauma for a really long time, but I think this moment feels a little bit unique. And I think sort of just being a spot of support for for people who this severely affects. Yeah is one of the best bits of activism that you can do. Exactly. I, I, I really, I try and stress that too. I'm like, it shouldn't fall on black people and people of color to fight against racism. For sure. If they choose to, that's, you know, yeah. power to Like, it's even more, it's it's like saintly that you'd be in the street like risking harm to fight for yeah. your people. But like, we need to, there are people too. It's, just, it's, it's, the whole situation is horrible. But I am trying to start like opening my heart a little bit more to those you know, uh, extremist people because I'm like, as much as I want to just demonize it, until you've hurt someone, you're savable. Like, that kid who murdered those people, we can't help him anymore. You know, like, he's now done something unforgivable. Like, he's committed a, like, you know, moral sin. So he's fucked up. Like, if we can't help him, bro, what the fuck is wrong with him? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like if you can't help him, then you can't help that side of America, you know? I feel like he, he he's, like, so emblematic, you know? It's, it's, it's almost one of those things where, like, gestures yeah. and symbols are so powerful because, like, you change a kid, like, you know, that's American History X. That's like, a great that's, point. Like, that's the movie's power is that it's an unsavable person becoming saved and becoming emblematic of a solution. I do feel yeah. a little bit like I don't want to take up too much of people's airtime with, like, my view on civil rights in America because it's like not really my spot to be Damn. to be speaking as well you know like, that's fire I'm, like it's not that's I mean, good nah I appreciate that if, if, if yeah I mean if we had a person on color a person of color here too like then it becomes more like listening to them but I feel like I'm not I'm such an outsider it's just so not I you will, I, just, I, I, just, I just don't want to like take I don't want to clog up people's brain with my view because there's like other people who have a better view who are more who are way better to listen to and like they should be listening to them after this podcast or something I don't you know like you know I go love read, that read Ibram X Kendi instead of listening to me talk about I do love that um that that uh I don't want to call it humbleness but it is like I really appreciate that you're having that thought to be like I, I'm not really the voice but I do yeah. think it's important man I appreciate we don't have to touch on it anymore but I appreciate you saying what you have said because all views like we were saying yo like if we are really gonna fix the world we all need to be able to come together and talk about shit and like I'm, I'm really a strong believer in like I, we're not gonna see no borders in our lifetime but like we're all fucking people dude like we all live we share this world we need yeah. to start acting like it so I appreciate what you said we don't need to speak on it anymore yeah. though but I do appreciate it I think it's yeah. important man like shit now more than ever now yeah. more than ever bro we all need to sit down and talk but yeah, uh, yeah. Have a big chat. Have a big dinner. Invite everybody. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> everybody can talk. Everyone's invited. Yo, oh, yeah. I wish, man. I wish. I, I'm hoping for a world, and I try and, in my own small way, with these interviews, because I'm trying to interview. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I want to make. I want this to be everybody's podcast. Like, you know, like obviously, I can't interview the world, yeah. but I want to interview a collection of people that I feel, as a whole, we can represent part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good project. I mean, I, I think like any 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 sort of like I mean, 
anything that increases lines of communication between people I'm in for. Yeah. Especially. No question. Yeah. No question. Yeah, man, you've been mad self-deprecating, but this has been a great interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. you might not listen to it, but I, I, I'm liking it. I'm going to touch back on it, especially being that I'm an aspiring writer, you know? Yeah. That's, this is the people that I thought it was going to be for aspiring directors, but I like how it's going to be for both that. I mean, yeah, it's weird. Like, you can't really, you can't teach directing, you know? You can't really, you can teach writing. Why do you think that? Why do you think you can teach one, not the other? Mm. It's sort of like you can teach drums, but you can't teach rhythm. Mm. You can't teach them to have a beat. Mm. Like, I think directing so much, like, the sun's dropping, you're meant to get 15 shots, you can only get three, you have to tell an emotional story, you don't know what any of those shots are going to look like, so you don't really know what to choose, you just have to be intuitive and in, on this level that's just, like, not teachable. It's about being, like, entirely present in a moment and... I mean, there's definitely things you can teach about directing, but I think the, like, there's so much politics and there's so much artistry and there's so much intuition and there's so much, like, building trust with crew and, you know, the label comes to you and they're like, you're taking up too much time, we don't have money, you're not going to be able to get this, like, and you've got to know when to be like, fall back, let me get this moment, let me do this thing. Or, you know, or, you know, you got to figure out a way to talk to someone so they give you that time, so they do fight for you, so they do go back to the label or the, or the managers or the agents or whatever and get you that thing. So I think there's so much involved in it that can't be taught that you just have to figure out if you have or don't. I mean, there's something Tarantino says about how uh, no one knows if they're a good director until they make a movie. No one knows if they can do it until they do it. Mm. Like, you can't do it in theory... I mean, you can figure out all the theory you want, but then you get on set, and again, you're, with that, you're in that decision where you wanted 50 shots, but you've got to choose the five and still make a movie out of it. I mean, there's, this, there's like, I think one of the, the, probably the greatest American director of all time is Francis Ford Coppola. And there's this amazing story that I love where the actor who plays, the actor who plays Luca Brasi okay. in Godfather Part oh, 1 is going in to talk to the Godfather. Okay. And he's so nervous acting in front of Marlon Brando that he, like, he just does a terrible job. He's just like monotone and stuttering and not getting his lines right. So instead of like wasting time trying to fix a performance of a guy who's just going to be nervous around Marlon Brando no matter what, he shoots a little scene of Luca Brasi outside practicing his lines to show how nervous he is in front of the Godfather. So it, does, so it becomes good acting because of this great little intuitive decision that he had to like fix it. You know, like, and that's... Damn, that scene, he's, he's fucking up. Yeah, he's fucking up for real. And he's what he does is he turns up. something which is a mistake into something incredibly good and part of the story. Oh, dude, that is yeah. so sick. For sure. And so when he fucks up, when he's talking to the Godfather, he's fucking up. He's that actually fucking, fucking up. up. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And that's what, it's just one of those things. It's like, you can't go to a course for that. Like, you can't teach, like... Because it's just, you see all the set pieces and someone just has to be so well-rounded and all over it and so in touch with the character and what they're trying to do as a storyteller that they just kind of see the bigger picture I mean you I mean, you can't teach that wow you have to have it and I don't I don't even I wouldn't know if I have it I mean I definitely feel like I fuck up a lot and there's a lot of opportunities that I could have had to fix things that I didn't take but maybe you can get better at seeing the bigger picture I don't know there's also a thing where people tend to I feel like directors take there's a few different paths where they're either they come out terribly and then get really really strong mm -hmm. or they come out really really strong and just get terrible <laughs> 
Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a weird thing about whether or not you can get... I feel like directors sort of... I almost feel like they don't... No one gets better. They just reach a point of self-actualization and then they lose it. Mm. Like they, It's all like directing almost you like you work for this brief little moment in your career where everything just fires and you make the right movie and you're the right person to make that movie and then you just can't get that back. Damn. You know, like, I mean, there's very few directors that have had these, like, just very, very long careers where everything is right. Like, so Giuliani, Akira Kurosawa, so far so good with Nolan and Tarantino, but, I mean, who knows if that's gonna, that's gonna last. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tarantino, Tarantino's whole idea is he wants to retire before he gets to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to, you don't want to, be known for that last terrible project. Exactly. I mean, you know what's so crazy is like Akira Kurosawa couldn't get couldn't get any money to make movies, and then um, he made Ran with funding from like Coppola, Spielberg, and uh, um, George Lucas. Damn, that's insane. To like say thank you for basically inventing modern cinema. Wow. Yeah. Why was any? Why so would Akira Kurosawa? Okay, like okay. I gotta check that out. Yeah. initials yeah <laughs> that's how I know I'm gonna make it <laughs> we have the same syllables yeah. as Destin yeah, exactly that's fire damn dude it's, we- it's weird to me when people with that kind of talent like aren't recognized until like people who are recognized recognize them yeah I mean I, I think people Kurosawa was obviously like huge but I think he just stopped making money and people weren't really interested in just funding his I mean also Rand's a big budget movie you know it's like Feudal Japan, Samurai's Wars, like... He also storyboarded that with oils. Whoa. He hand-painted oils. That was, the, that was how he storyboarded it. It's insane. That is wild. Damn. I gotta check that out. I haven't seen yeah. that. Ryan's unbel- it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful movie. Nice. That's my really style. Cool. That's my, like, aesthetic, too. A yeah. movie that has samurais and shit in it. Yeah. It's cool. It's a really good movie. I need I mean, that. My favorite, my favorite Kurosawa movie, though, for anyone that wants to, like, suck in a Kurosawa, is Ikaru. Okay. It's about, uh, like, a like a middle-aged middle-class clerk who gets terminal cancer and damn kind of comes to comes to terms with his death oh shit I bet I watch it on too unbelievable it's, it's, so what's it called again Ikaru Ikaru yeah. thank you yeah, I'll fucking check that out I bet well alright we're good um final thoughts anything you want to leave people with it could be anything it could be it could be motivation it could be thoughts from your career it could be um from an Australian to an American, it could be literally anything under the sun, whatever you're feeling. Paint the picture, direct the scene. Uh, I don't know. Um, if you wanted your grandkid to listen to this 20, 70 years ago. You know, I, I heard this really cool story from someone. I, I really like it. I actually, I just put it in my script the other okay. day. And it's this, the story is about someone, someone sitting by the, someone sitting by like a pond and they see there's a spider web across the pond. And they, are, they wonder whether the spider spins a little bit of web, goes down, walks around the pond, climbs up a tree, continues to spin the web. Now that's a lot of walking for a spider. So they ask someone about it and they ask how the spider does it. And apparently what spiders do is they spin the web just for the sake, for the love of spinning. And they hope that the wind carries it to where it needs to go in order to build a, wind, to, to build a, to build a web on that. And I think that's like such a beautiful way to live your life is to just create for the sake of creating and hope that the right wind comes to take you where you need to go. You, yo, you were concerned about coming off, right? That is a fucking way to end an episode, dude. Jesus. Thank you so much for coming, yo. My pleasure.